0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. So the Huskies able to advance it from the 11 out to the 35. Huskers come out for the kick. They've got it. It's a block punch. The Huskers pick it up at the 25-yard line and have it down to the 21. Isaiah Stahlberg was the one who blocked it. Stahlberg from Cardi, Nebraska with the block for the Big Red. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp, and Ben McLaughlin. And we're here, Wednesday night, Sports Highly, on the bye week for Husker football. We're going to take you up to about 7.30 tonight, hand it off to John Bader, Lauren Cook-West for Husker volleyball as they take on the Purdue Boilermakers, a matchup of ranked teams at the Devaney Center tonight. So about 90 minutes for us to cover some of the topics of the day. Here's what we have coming up on the show tonight. It is Wednesday. We'll work in a Big Ten blitz. Check out what's going on at Penn State, Indiana, and Northwestern for some of their matchups this week. We'll hear from our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle, in hour number two. We'll also make somebody happy tonight. We'll play our Big Red Replay brought to you by... The Nebraska Lottery also in hour number two. So we're going to have some fun here in the next 90 minutes. But uh, we start tonight with, uh, I, Ben, I, last night you had a lot of coverage of the big announcement from earlier in the week with Nebraska headed to Ireland in the open this 2021 season against the Fighting Illini. I saw today that one of the sections in the Nebraska part of the stadium is already sold
1: out. <laughs> I don't think I'm surprised though. No, I mean and I've talked with a handful of buddies and uh people that I know follow Husker football very closely and they've already asked me about it, about, you know, where to go. And, and and the great thing about this, Greg, is it's not just a typical road game where you go to State College or Champaign or, or I mean, I don't really want to include Evanston or uh, or Minneapolis because there, there's a lot to do in those cities. But, I mean, to use, use this as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to travel abroad and go see a country that you probably would never otherwise go see and, you know, to make it a week-long thing, plus to watch the Huskers, There's a ton of appeal, I think, to Husker fans to be able to do this and and go see something that they're probably never going to get to go do again.
0: Well, I think the interest will be really high. The next year Notre Dame plays Navy. I think Notre Dame is taking about twenty-five thousand folks. That's kind of a bar that's been set to see if Husker fans can eclipse that. The stadium seats right around fifty thousand. It's primarily used for soccer over in Ireland, but huge announcement yesterday, and it was great to hear from Bill Moose on last night's program, and also the folks from Anthony Travel that are putting together all the travel packages uh, for Husker fans and Illini fans to get locked into and get ready to go to start the year. So. As we look at this, Ben, next year, the 2020 season for Husker football, Nebraska will open the campaign against the Purdue Boilermakers in Lincoln. So a conference game to start the 2020 season, and now a conference game to start the 2021 season with Illinois. So you talk about getting yourself revved up during those August practice sessions. It should be really easy to motivate those teams the next two years knowing you have a conference game right out of the gate uh, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the fact that you know you're going to have to be really ready to roll week one. I think that'll be pretty cool to
1: have those two games here in the next two years. Yeah, I'm all about it. You know, you think about how exciting, and I know the the Colorado game last year didn't go how didn't finish how anybody wanted it to, but you think about how exciting it was to have a, a big name opponent. You know, be be your first first one of the year, and. You know, at that point, Colorado wasn't a ranked team. Illinois is not going to be a ranked team. Purdue won't be a, a ranked team. But you know, to to have a, a conference game or a big name opponent for Week One, at least that you're you're comparable to in terms of talent, and, and it's a winnable game, I'm all for it. And and here's the thing: is um, the other teams that that Nebraska are playing in those first games, that being Illinois and Purdue, they're not going to have the built-in advantage of playing a game. Uh, before Nebraska like Colorado did. So it's going to be everybody starting off at the same point, and and no one's going to have that, that built-in advantage. So absolutely, I'm all for it, and it's going to make the 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 season opener and the conference opener, for that matter, uh, that much more exciting to be able to do that right out of the gate in, in week one. I, I don't know how much of an advantage in
0: recruiting Ben that this announcement of the Ireland thing is going to get. I, I don't know if, if high school players – are going to think that's that cool of a deal. I mean, it can't hurt. It's obviously, hey, besides coming here and getting the chance to play some bowl games, we're going to take you across the pond and let you spend some time in a different country. Can't hurt. But again, and you traveled the Husker basketball team to Italy this summer. I I don't know how much 17, 18, 19-year-olds really get a kick out of that. This may be more for the fan base. and, and, you know, looking at some of the early reaction from some of the fans, some people are kind of, ah, eh, why are we doing this? What's the big deal about this? But we just came from Champaign a few weeks ago. Nebraska didn't have a ton of fans in Champaign, Illinois. I guarantee you there will be more Husker fans in Dublin, Ireland, for that game in 2021 than there were in Champaign from when the Huskers played the Illinois the Fighting Illini in September. But back to the student-athletes, I know that it will, we'll mention it to – to young guys that we're recruiting over the next couple of years that you can be a part of this, and and you may have a better feel for this because you were around that basketball team when they went to Italy. I don't know that that resonates so much with them, but I think for the boosters, the alumni, and the
1: fans of the program, it's a pretty cool thing. It is, and, like, here's the thing. When you're you're a recruit and you're trying to figure out where you want to go to school – and you know, you. I just finished Last Chance U. There's another uh, series on Netflix called QB One, and you get a glimpse of these high school and, and junior college kids of what's important to them when they when they select a school. You know, you get a nice behind the scenes look at some of these kids, what their home life is like, and uh, it's really a perspective, an eye opening perspective changer for me. You know, seeing these real life examples, and these kids are trying to make a, a choice for their future, uh, for for the coast course of three if you're lucky if not four years and then beyond a week in ireland is not going to be a reason why you go to a school now it's definitely going to be nice to um kind of have that in your tool bag and you know when you're laying your pitch out to say that you know we're an innovative school we like to do these kinds of things this might not be the only thing we do it's probably gonna be the only time we go to europe but we're always innovative in the way we think and and, you know, you kind of back that up with the point of the new football facility that they announced. And I think you can kind of build some momentum there about how seriously your administration is taking football. Now, that is an angle you can recruit to. Yeah. But just the trip in itself, I don't know that it's, um, you know, if I'm if I'm weighing options between Nebraska and Kentucky and Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU and Florida State, I'm not going to go, well, Nebraska is going to Ireland for a week. So I'm going to go to their school. I, I just don't see that really translating into into a direct recruiting bonus but you know there there is that is just an added um proof in the pudding if you will of of nebraska putting their money where their mouth is about their commitment to the football program and and i think it's a great thing big picture wise that the huskers are doing that and 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 always thinking in, in innovative ways to get ahead in college football so i agree with you i don't know that there are very many um I don't know. There there will be players on the team that aren't super fired up about going overseas and, um, you know, going to Ireland. But I think – when they're much older 25 30 35 years old they're going to very much appreciate they're going to grow to appreciate right. the experience and uh, and it's something that they'll never otherwise do and I thought yesterday at the press conference Bill moose said it best he goes I bet half of this football team would would never ever consider getting a passport and now they're gonna to have to so it is it is a great experience I've seen firsthand in Italy you know the the trip wearing down some of these teenagers. And, you know, just getting caught up in, in the day-to-day life. But um, it, it, all in all, it's going to be a great opportunity. And, and, and you just hope that they're all thankful for it by the time, you know, they, they grow old. Folks, we've not let you sound off on this Italy trip. If you have some
0: thoughts about this, what it means for the program, are you excited, not excited, doesn't really matter to you, love to hear your take at 866 Husker one 866-487-5371. Ben, you and I have not been on the mic at the same time since the end of the Minnesota game. I was really interested in hearing from the head coach yesterday, now that he has had time to kind of digest the game. He said he's watched both sides of the ball five or six times and that some of his initial impressions were different than what he saw on tape. He did not feel like for example that the defensive line got worked the way that maybe he thought they did while he was watching it live that it was more of an issue of not covering some gaps, some seams from some of the secondary guys coming up in run support or the linebackers getting where they needed to be in run support and he felt like I think offensively that they were a couple of plays away from putting some more points on the board in that game. So I was really interested to hear those comments that he had yesterday that maybe it wasn't Uh, as much of uh, a bad outing as maybe we initially thought from that game
1: yeah i mean anybody that's played football at a semi-competitive level always had those coaches that told you right film doesn't lie (laughs) and and so you know you had those practices where you thought you were doing something or those games where you you thought you were doing something you'd go back and watch yourself on film and you're like okay well maybe i wasn't um and and it's the same way with coaches you know and, and fans too for that matter you you think you see something during the game and then you go back and and analyze and see really uh the intricate details of why things are happening and um, I, I don't think Scott Frost would come out and lie about something like that. I think he he really tells us what he thinks. And you know, to me, when I was talking to somebody about this, this is the best kind of analogy, right? To me, it's like think of it this way: a player hurts their knee, and it, you're you got all the symptoms of a torn ACL or, or MCL or whatever, and and you're you're thinking this issue is not going to be fixed in a short amount of time. And then you come to find out that it's just a sprain, or you know, the 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 time of recovery is a, a lot shorter than it would be if had had it been what you initially thought. I kind of compare that to the a good analogy for what Coach Ross was saying. You know, maybe these fixes aren't as long term as we thought. If it's as simple as run fits and guys being in the right gaps. And and literally simplifying things, as he said, if it's if it's as simple as he's making it sound, maybe it's something they can get fixed over the bye week. Because if you're getting pushed around like we all thought on Saturday night, that's not something you can fix in a bye week. That's not something you can fix in in a month. That's not something you can fix uh, until the end of the season. But if it's if it's a scheme thing, if it's a run fit thing, if it's a it's a gap responsibility thing, you'd like to think that that can get fixed in a reasonable amount of time. And the only I mean the only way. We we will know if that's the truth or not is if those adjustments get made and nebraska is much more stout against the run yeah no doubt all right
0: 866 husker one 866-487-5371 the number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question let's take a couple of calls before we head to our first break of the hour steven holdridge you're going to lead us off tonight good evening
2: good evening uh, what's on your mind Ah, I was just going to tell you, uh, the ticket sales are going very well. Uh, My daughter, Annie, from Holdridge, works for Anthony Travel in Dallas. Great. And uh, uh, I talked to her, oh, about 5 o'clock, I guess it was, and uh, yeah. They have already sold a lot of packages. I think there will definitely be more in Ireland than there will be a, would have been in Champagne.
0: <laughs> I, hey, I I think this is a great chance for people who maybe have never thought about traveling across over to Europe to go do it. And hey, take in a Husker well, football game while you're there. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Present. I don't. The team may. I, I guarantee you, Steven, I think your 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 point is right about your daughter hearing all this. That our fan base is a lot more excited probably than our team is, and I think that's great.
2: Well, last week in a meeting, which of course no one nothing had been announced yet, uh, they asked her. They said, "You know, what do we expect?" The Nebraska fans travel? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can imagine what she told them. Yeah, and they're yeah. fine.
0: They're fine. Yeah. That was-
2: and they have some, their packages are are pretty neat. Uh, you know, they've got golf packages that go with it. Uh, there's, it's it's quite a trip.
0: Well, it's, it's one of those people. ones that you take just a couple of times in your life, and this should be one you do. Steve, I appreciate you giving us the update. Congratulations on your daughter having a nice job, and we appreciate the, the update on that. Let's head up from uh, Holdridge to Nybrera. Brian, you're up next on Sports League. Good evening, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Um, Dave, I wanted to comment on the, the aspect of the parents' involvement with this uh, new recruits, uh-huh. you know, a chance to get that cultural experience as a youngster. Is uh, pretty good, and uh, parents would really, I think, would would really push towards that. I would hope so. I would hope that they would impress on their young young person that hey, this is a really great opportunity that you'd be you'd be foolish to pass up to go travel somewhere else and spend a week somewhere. I think I think you're right, Brian. I hope that I hope that's the case. Well, also along with just uh, the traveling, you know, that many hours in a plane with nothing to do but sit and talk to you, the, the guy next to you, the team building that can come out of it, even.
3: Even if it's just for a week, that's huge.
0: No doubt. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate the call And that. And, you know, Ben, going back to your Italy experience back in August with the men's basketball team, Fred Hoiberg said that several different times about the best part of that thing wasn't the basketball part. It's the guys who had to spend time with each other.
1: Yeah, and, and Coach Frost addressed that this week, too, yesterday. He said, yeah, we're still working on team chemistry. Yeah. And so there's no doubt that that's going to help. And, Greg, I'll take it a step further. <clears throat> you know, we we, were, we talked with some Michigan players at Media Days, uh, Jordan Glasgow, their, their linebacker, about – michigan's experience going to africa and he said the same exact thing you know we that's somewhere we would never go we we bonded a lot as a team and there's not a lot of cell service in africa or wi-fi so you know we were forced to to talk and hang out with each other so i think you did you did kind of see a a glimpse of how it can be beneficial to a team at least at least the chemistry and the off the field portion and not just here in nebraska but other teams benefited from, from it as well yeah no doubt
0: Wednesday nights, college football season, we like to do a little spin around the league called the Big Ten Blitz. The Big Ten Blitz. In the state. Talk to about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Corey Geiger the Altoona Mirror is with us. Corey, good win, solid win for Penn State last week. What was your grade card of that game over Iowa?
4: Hey, you go to Iowa and win, Greg, that, that's a good win. That's not a great Iowa offense, but... I've been to Kinnick Stadium for several games where, where Iowa has beaten Penn State, and, and obviously they win a lot of big games there against quality competition. So you get a good win, you get, you get confidence, Greg. That's the most important thing. It's a very young Penn State team with young contributors on both sides, and those kids are now confident. And, and confidence is a powerful thing for a young football team.
0: No doubt. They held the Hawkeyes to just one touchdown in the game. Penn State had a touchdown taken away from them on a controversial reversal of a call by the replay booth. How much attention has that gotten in State College all week?
4: Oh, a whole bunch. Uh, Look, that was bogus. And uh, I try to be unbiased. You know, your listeners may think, well, of course, he covers Penn State. Of course, he's going to think it was a touchdown. Uh, No, it was a touchdown. I mean, there's a replay that clearly shows that the ball crossed the line, and it was called a touchdown on the field. And then the replay overturned it, and it led to you know, a major game-changing potential situation. My problem, Greg, is mistakes happen in sports. You know, coaches, players have to answer for mistakes. But when officials make mistakes and conferences make mistakes, you know, the Big Ten won't acknowledge that it was a mistake. I just think it's really... Unfortunate, the way our our sports society uh, is—that there's there's tens of millions of dollars at stake uh, with all this stuff, And, and these leagues can't. Uh, can't admit when mistakes are made. I really think it's unfortunate.
0: I- I'm with you. I, w- I thought for sure the league would come out Sunday or Monday and say we blew the call. It was a touchdown. Fortunately for Penn State, it did not cost them the game. They end up winning 17-12 over the Hawkeyes. All right, now it's on to Michigan week. Penn State to host the Wolverines Saturday night. Uh, I got to I gotta imagine that Beaver Stadium is going to be alive and rocking on Saturday night
4: it's going to be wild. It's their annual whiteout game. Their Beaver Stadium holds 107,000, but there'll probably be 110, maybe even 111,000 there. It's going to be wild. Uh, this is an undefeated Penn State team. Um, it has not been tested greatly yet and and Michigan's offense doesn't, you know, isn't great, but their defense is really good. Uh, this will be a big test. Um, if Penn State gets through this now you kind of start to think, okay, you know what uh, what would need to happen for a, a college football playoff appearance, which obviously would be a win at Ohio State. But as I said earlier, this is a confident, confident football team, and if they can come in at home and beat Michigan uh, in front of their big crowd, you, you think that this te- this this Penn State team could really kind of uh, start to take off even more.
0: Lay it out for us. What are the the keys, the matchup that will determine this
4: thing? Well, both offenses, I think, are unproven. Uh, Michigan, Michigan's offensive struggles this year are just you know, you know wild against Army, against Wisconsin. Uh, you, you look at some of the struggles they've had. Bringing in a new offensive coordinator and Josh Gaddis, who used to work for James Franklin at Vanderbilt and Penn State. I think Jim Harbaugh has got to get out of the way and let Josh Gaddis do his job. And I I expect, you know, I expect Michigan to come in and at least try to do some different things, not just be that old conservative running game. But here's the thing, Greg. Penn State's offense, I don't think has proven anything yet either. They've scored a lot of points, but they've played some bad teams. They only scored 17 points at home against Pitt. They only scored 17 against Iowa. And, you know, this is a good Michigan, a very, very good Michigan defense and a very, very good Penn State defense. So, I expect a little bit of a lower-scoring game. Penn State's favored by nine, which is a pretty big number to me in a game that I think both teams are going to kind of have a, a tough time scoring touchdowns. So the one thing Penn State likes to do is chuck the ball deep down the field for 30, 40, 50 yards at a time, and, and Michigan's going to try to take that away. If they can take that away and we, have, we see these teams have to go up and down the field with long, sustained drives, I do expect it to be a low-scoring game.
0: 6:30 Central on ABC. Penn State hosting the Michigan Wolverines. Corey Geiger from the Altoona Mira. Corey, we appreciate it. Thank you. Always great. Indiana and here to talk about the Hoosiers, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Indiana took care of business last week, dusting off Rutgers 35 to nothing. Pretty convincing win. Probably should have been, but it was. Zach, and that sometimes isn't easy to do.
3: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Indiana's played six games this season. They're four and two. They've played one. Crazy elite team in Ohio State. They played one perfectly good team on the road in Michigan State that obviously they they came somewhat close to beating but lost. And then they played, without wanting to be flippant, four very bad teams. And so the the narrative around Indiana has sort of been, well, how much can we believe about Indiana until we see them against better competition? And I appreciate that, and I, I myself would say that to a point. I think you also just have to look at those four games, and I forget what the exact score is, but Indiana's something like 197 to 27 in final score over those four games. And as somebody who's covered a lot of Indiana football, uh, it's a program that that makes things more complicated than it needs to way more often than it should. And at some point, maybe Indiana should just get credit for going into those kinds of games against UConn, Rutgers, Eastern Illinois, and just smashing up those teams with a minimum of fuss and, and moving on. Obviously, now they do get a, a slightly raised level of competition, a couple of road tests here in the next two weeks, and the opportunity maybe to prove themselves as as a bowl team.
0: Zach, if you look at the team stats for the year, Indiana's fifth in total offense in the league and fifth in total defense. Which side of the ball are they better at, and which side does have to get better if they want to to get themselves to bowl eligibility here before this thing is over?
3: I would say that they're probably a little bit better offensively right now. Admittedly, a lot of that is based purely around the, the Michigan State game, um, but I think there's also a recognition that two of your biggest playmakers are Michael Penix, who is unnaturally talented as a redshirt freshman quarterback, and then Wax who's second in the league in receiving yards at this point, has had a back-to-back huge week. Um, he already owns the Indiana career record for games with double-digit catches. Um, He's he's, he's got double anybody else. He's got four. He's got two of them in the last two weeks. And, um, you know, those guys are, I think, emblematic of an offense that has taken some big strides forward um, under first-year coordinator Kalen DeBoer. And then, if you ask me, which side maybe needs to prove itself a little bit more, I, I would say probably the defense. It's a defense that, in those games against the very bad teams, against your, I mean, Rutgers had one passing yard on five completions <laughs> last weekend. So, so Indiana's had some really, really good games. Um, you know, held UConn, I think, to 145 total yards. But then we also saw, again, Indiana in that Michigan State game, which maybe is the, the you know kind of the best point of comparison we have for Indiana right now. Where do they fall in the league? They really struggled defensively in that game. Had a lot of opportunities to get Michigan State off the field in key situations. You know, dropped a, an interception that probably would have been a touchdown based on kind of the, the, the situation at hand. Um, you know it's, it's a defense that's clearly got a lot of talent and got a lot of promise and is growing up even as is you know some of its younger players just get more snaps uh, kind of you know on their resumes but it's a defense that I think if, if you're talking about what's going to make Indiana a bowl team, what's going to allow Indiana to maybe win, you know, two or three of their their last six games, it's going to be that defense rising to meet the offense a little bit.
0: Well, you mentioned Indiana's a bit of a mystery to people. It's, it's, to me, it's in Maryland's exact same. I don't know what what Maryland is. Uh, they go get a nice win over Syracuse early, then they get bombed by Penn State. Uh, Purdue beat them up pretty easily. Get, what's your handle and, and size the matchup up for us on Saturday?
3: I think this is, you know, obviously it's not the game that would get Indiana bowl eligible, but I think this is sort of the game that if Indiana is the kind of team that, let's say, is good enough to beat Northwestern, is good enough to really give Nebraska a scare and Lincoln is good enough to potentially fancy themselves to try and spring an upset on Michigan, this is the kind of game they should win. And I don't think they need to win it by 30 points. But this is the kind of game where you should be able to look at it after Indiana comes out the other side and say, yeah, Indiana was clearly the better team. Um, Maryland is a team that's given Indiana some trouble at Maryland. The, the last, I mean, you, you ask people in this program, they'll be pretty honest that they feel that it was probably at Maryland two years ago, where that, that was the loss that ultimately cost them the bowl game that season. That just It was the one that they should have won and they didn't because they did not play well particularly defensively. Obviously, a lot has changed, you know, for Maryland specifically from 2017 to now a new coach, a lot of quarterback issues and, and different things like that. But I think that even watching some of that Purdue-Maryland game this week, trying to get a handle myself on Maryland, I see a lot of ways in which Indiana should be able to hurt Maryland, particularly through the air, of course. You know, Purdue's back quarterback throws for 420 yards and three touchdowns last weekend against the Terps. I know it's in College Park. Um, So, you know, if you're Indiana, you can count on one hand the number of Big Ten road wins you've had in like the last five years. You can't take anything for granted. But even if you just think about the way Vegas thinks about this game, um, I think the line opened anywhere from one to two and a half. It's already spread out to six. And that's. That's for, that's for the road team, so that's even factoring in maybe a three-and-a-half, four-point bump for Maryland being at home. This is the kind of game that if Indiana is a legitimate bowl team, and even more than that, if Indiana is the kind of team that does something more than just sneak in the back door with six wins but maybe can win seven, maybe even could talk to itself about winning eight, this is the kind of game that needs to be a, a straightforward you know, kind of up and down. Okay, it won't be a dominant performance 60 to 12 or something like that. But it's a game that Indiana walks away feeling like we were the better team and we proved it for 60 minutes.
0: Indiana at Maryland 230 Central on BTN. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Stars. Thank you, Zach.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Northwestern. Let's talk about the Wildcats. And here to do that, Louis Vacare of the Wildcat Report. Big challenge this Friday night. Yep, Friday night, Northwestern against Ohio State logistically how do, how are, how are friday night, Friday night games going to play in Evanston I would think that would be the traffic around the city might be pretty bad what do you think
5: yeah that's the fear you know this is the first Friday night game in Ryan Field history and uh, you know Chicago traffic is at its worst on Fridays and you've got there's not a whole lot of ways in and out of Evanston and, You know, Ryan Field isn't really equipped for sellouts, and there's going to be the throngs of Buckeyes there. So it's going to be a logistical challenge. When I went to the press conference on Monday, driving down Central Street, they already had two, like, uh, lighted message boards saying, you know, kickoff Friday night 7.30, expect delays. That was, you know, four days before the game. Wow. So they're gearing up. They're trying to get people. They got a lot of giveaways early. They're having a basketball practice. The whole focus is trying to get people down there as early as possible because they know it's going to be a bottleneck closer to game time and there's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a mess, I think.
0: Okay, the Cats coming off of a bye week, one and four. Uh, there, there's a path to get them to six into a bowl game. How, how do you think Fitz has handled this week and have they readjusted some goals as they hit kind of the midway point?
5: No, I don't think they've readjusted anything. I mean, they kind of keep things one game at a time, go 1-0 and every week, and they're pretty good about that. I mean, they kind of flush the week before and focus on the next game. But looking at it realistically, you got Ohio State uh, on Friday, so you come out of that, you're 1-5. That means you can only afford one more loss. Uh, looking at the rest of the season, it's, it's pretty manageable. They're going to have to beat Iowa or Minnesota, it looks like, to to be able to make a bowl game. If they can pull off one of those and then take care of Indiana, Purdue, UMass, Illinois, not a sure thing by any stretch, but, you know, I think it's manageable. And if they can win one of those, two, they can get the 6-6. and But, uh, you know, the way the offense has been playing, that's quite a bit to ask, I think.
0: Well, update us on the quarterback situation. We didn't see Hunter Johnson here in Lincoln two weeks ago. Will we see him Friday? What do you think?
5: Well no one really knows the answer to that question. Uh, Fitz didn't really address it on Monday and he's not going to say anything. Um, they haven't been happy with Hunter Johnson's play. They thought uh, Aiden Smith gave him a little bit of smart, uh, of a spark and I, I agree with that. He's kind of a, a gutsy player, kind of lets it fly and where Hunter's been more indecisive and hesitant back there. He is at least, you know, he's aggressive and he kind of made some things happen, both good and bad. So I don't know, I'm not sure who's going to be the starter. I would, if I had to guess, I would go with Johnson, but I'm in no way confident about that. And, you know, really, I don't know which one gives him the better chance to win, to be honest with you. It'll be interesting to see.
0: Well, we were certainly blown away by what we saw from the Buckeyes a couple of weeks ago here. What what has to happen in your eyes for Northwestern to keep this thing competitive and maybe get it to the fourth quarter with a chance?
5: Yeah, well, it's I can see the defense playing pretty well and keeping it uh, under control. I think, uh, you know, Northwestern's front seven has been good all year. They don't give up a whole lot of big plays. Um, But, you know, I feel like they're, you know, an MMA fighter going into the octagon with one hand tied behind their back, you know, because their offense, I just can't see a path of them scoring enough points to win. I think the defense can keep it close for a while, but unless, you know, Justin Fields throws a couple pick sixes and they have a slew of turnovers and block a punt, you know, it'll have to be a biblical combination of turnovers right? I think Northwestern needs. to Pull
0: off a win, so I can see him hanging in there for a while, but uh, just not scoring enough points against that defense. Wildcats host the Buckeyes 7:30 Friday night, slated to be on FS1, but because of the baseball cancellation in New York, talks that it may be on Fox Business Network on Friday. Louis Vicare the Wildcat Report. Louis, we appreciate it. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Greg. Always a pleasure.
0: Wet, dry, snowy, rain, sleet—that doesn't stop our Lane Grindle. He joins us now. His voice will sound familiar.
6: And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball.
0: His knowledge is endless.
6: He looked so fast. It was unbelievable.
0: He's our Major League Baseball insider. Missed a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, he's a couple of weeks into his uh, offseason, and, and, man, the baseball playoffs have been... Interesting, exciting, maybe haven't gone quite to form, but uh, it's a great time of year for baseball, isn't it? This October and seeing some, some of the best teams get after it.
6: Yeah, there's really nothing like it, Greg. It's 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 my favorite time of the year, um, and it should be. It's This is when the games matter the most. Uh, the strategy so important. There's so many little things about these games within themselves that well, maybe we don't analyze as closely over the course of the regular season, so... Uh, I enjoy it. I think the fascinating thing about baseball for me, whether it's college baseball, major league baseball, high school baseball, is how a team can get hot, and they can ride that to incredible success in the postseason. And uh, I saw that up close this year with the Brewers getting hot in September, and they went from really not having much of a chance to make the postseason to getting in and almost winning the division, and we've seen that with the Nationals as well. It's just neat. Um, You know, the Nationals since the end of May have probably been one of the better teams in baseball. Not everybody was talking about them. But they got hot again, and uh, they've made an incredible run here in the postseason.
0: You kind of called this a couple weeks ago. You said the Nationals, with that starting pitching, could certainly give the Dodgers fits. They did. They get the win there. I don't know that anybody thought they would sweep the Cardinals. I mean, it, that just doesn't really happen in postseason play. But, my goodness, that was impressive what they did to St. Louis.
6: Yeah, that, the the whole Nationals could give the Dodgers fit prediction by me ended up being pretty accurate. But that's where it ends, because I really thought the Cardinals would win the NLCS and they didn't even win a game in the NLCS. I thought over a seven-game series, the Nationals' bullpen issues would show up. Um, I I felt like the Cardinals were playing well enough, and they had a good enough rotation with a really nice bullpen, and they play such sound defense typically. I I felt like overall in a seven-game series, the Cardinals probably had the upper hand. But the Nationals were hotter. They got those great pitching performances. And, you know, look, once Anibal Sanchez did what he did in game one, That I mean, the whole series is a little bit upside down for the Cardinals at that point because when you play the Nationals, you're thinking, okay, we got to get the games when Scherzer and Strasburg aren't going. And so when they get game one without either of them on the mound, it's kind of a it's almost like two losses a little bit because you're like, oh gosh, now we got to come back to the ballpark tomorrow at home and face Scherzer in his hometown in the playoffs. Um, it, so it just it's like a double whammy when that happens. And so I look, obviously that changed the series. Anytime you win a game, it changes the series to some degree. But that was an incredible thing for the Nationals to get Game One like they did it just it really was uphill from that point forward for the cardinals
0: over in the american league it's been chalk colhane like things go according to plan chalk colhane because he was chalk (laughs) Um, because you have the two best teams and this is what everybody wanted to see the yankees and the astros it is not disappointed so far through three games no game tonight because of bad weather in new york so it's getting pushed back a day but man this has been fascinating to watch these two teams and that 11 inning affair the other night was terrific
6: yeah, it's a, it's a heavyweight battle. I mean, and these, these were the two best teams in the AL. No offense to the, to the Twins because they had a 100-win season, and it's crazy to think they weren't one of the two best teams in the American League, but they weren't. They were, they were behind these two teams. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with these two teams and how complete they are. I, I think that the, 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 maybe the difference in this series is that I, I, I think that Astros clearly have a better rotation the Yankees clearly have a better bullpen, in my opinion. Um, so, which one of those ends up being, you know, the bigger factor at the end? Sometimes, as these series get longer, the bullpen's the one that makes the difference. But it, it's it's really hard to tell right now. The thing that the Astros have for them is this supreme confidence. Uh, Alex Brigman has become kind of their their emotional, spiritual leader a little bit and he is one of the most, and, and some people would call it cockiness, that's fine I, I I think it's great, I think guys rally behind how confident he is, he just knows they're going to win, and he has no doubt in his mind that they're going to get this accomplished, and they, it's 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 also amazing that that guy's become kind of like the emotional leader for that team, because he was the new kid on the block two years ago when they won the World Series, he hadn't even been up for the full season, and that's how quickly he's become a superstar, but um, they're really good. Uh, they just have so many arms they can run at you in the rotation. And, I mean, it's amazing. Here they are up two games to one, and their fans are still frustrated. They don't think they've gotten enough out of Zach Granke. <laughs> and, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a great problem to have, to be like, hey, look, we're up 2-1 in the ALCS, but, you know, Greinke hasn't been great in his starts. I mean, if that's what you're worrying about, you know that you're in pretty good shape. So I, I think the Astros end up winning that series – but it's going to be a good one. I, it would not shock me if it goes seven. And the Nationals are just going to be sitting back eating their popcorn and enjoying it while they wait.
0: Lane Rendell's with us. He's our Major League Baseball insider. In that American League side of the bracket, there's been a lot of talking about pitch tipping. Uh, how, how much do teams study that, pr- try to prevent it, and also try to pick it?
6: Well, it's, it's, it's an – it's one of those things where sometimes guys – it's almost like playing poker, Greg. Right? You know, a guy has a tell, and they're they are unaware of it, and that's when you get into trouble, right? Most guys are pretty good at watching video, knowing when they're doing what and how to disguise it or what adjustments they need to make. But you get caught in the middle of the game and something's not going well. I mean, you Darvish in the World Series a couple of years ago, that was the case. And the really good teams are good at picking it up. Um, I was talking about this, actually, with, with – Somebody that many Husker fans are very familiar with, Al Rector. We were we were actually Monday night uh, at the, the Packers and uh, Lions game in Green Bay, and the the, the Packers picked up on a 12 man on the field situation, and they alerted the refs to it, and the refs threw a flag. And the next drive, Packers had 12 men on the field, Lions didn't notice it, the refs didn't notice it, and they got away with it. And that you know, that's the really good teams never miss those little details whether it's football or baseball or whatever it is Greg you know the great teams they always catch that they always see that and the Astros are one of the really great teams so you know they catch that they know when something's going on right they, they did it to you Darvish in the World Series a couple of years ago um, it's part of the game it's something that happens and and you just it's it's a thing where you have to be self-aware and, and try to make sure that you're not tipping off those pitches. Uh, as a guy on the mound. The other part of it is, that, look, when the guy gets to second base, all the, all the signs change because we know that teams are really good at figuring out signs. And so that's just all part of it. I know some people get upset about that stuff, but both sides are probably doing some degree of it, um, trying to get every advantage that they can. And um, it's kind of uh, on the other team to make sure they protect as much as they can so they don't give out that information.
0: All right, uh, last thing came out today. It looks like Joe Madden's going to be the new skipper of the Angels. That that was fairly predictable, wasn't it?
6: Yeah, I think very predictable. I think the only question I had was how much did Joe want to be in Anaheim versus some of the other markets because I think anybody that had a core group that they felt could contend was going to be interested in Joe Madden. And so did Joe just want to go to Anaheim and that's it? or was he willing to open it up and and let it turn into a bidding war because the Angels may not have come out on the right end of that had it come to that. I think that's where he wanted to be. That's where he's the most comfortable. Um, He still has a residence right around there. It's a great fit. He's going to inherit some of the best players on the planet, in Mike Trout, who is the best player on the planet, and then Shoy Otani, who is going to be an exciting player next year, I think, to watch in Major League Baseball and some other really good players around there as well. They're not a complete team. Uh, they're in a really tough division that is going to be an uphill battle, but I think Joe Madden will do a nice job there. He'll fit really well there, and over the next couple of years, they could they, they, they could have the potential to build something pretty good around Mike Trout, but, boy, that division's tough. with The team we've been talking about for most of this interview, the Houston Astros, and a front office that is as good as anybody in professional sports in the Oakland A's, um, and the Rangers look like they're maybe you know, starting to come along a little bit, too. They were a competitive team this year, so that will not be an easy uh, division to navigate for Joe Madden. but he's got some key pieces in place already to start it with. Very good.
0: All right, well, enjoy the week. We'll talk next week as the World Series gets underway. All right, Greg. Appreciate it, man.